Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this very special episode of the Empire Podcast. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which continues the story of Steve Rogers' BFFs, Anthony Mackie's Sam Wilson, and Sebastian Stan's Bucky Barnes, is currently flying high on our television screens after the first episode of the latest MCU Disney Plus show debuted on the streaming service last Friday. Ahead of this Friday's second episode, I was lucky enough to sit down this week for socially distanced Zoom chats with the show's head writer and executive producer Malcolm Spellman and its director Carrie Scogland. Now, these aren't spoiler special interviews per se, but you absolutely should only listen to them if you've seen the first episode of the show we're calling FODs, because we do discuss some of the major revelations in that episode, in these interviews, but we also look ahead to what's coming up for Sam and Bucky as they adjust to life without Steve. I spoke to Carrie first, so you're going to hear that interview first. Oh, and two brief notes. Do stick around after the interviews when I'll be joined by some of my colleagues of such lethal cunning to have a good old natter about all things Sam and Bucky. And second, don't forget that the new issue of Empire magazine is on sale right now, and our amazing cover feature goes deep, 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 deep on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier with incredible world-beating access. So pick that up as well. Do it. Do it now. It's available in all good and evil news agents. Okay, that's enough for me. Here is Carrie Scogland. And because we kind of started without my usual big introduction, we just got straight into it, really. So you're going to hear her first. I asked her initially about what we can expect from the second episode and beyond. Enjoy. Well, I can tell you it's full of twists and turns. Um, obviously, it's a, a, a buddy cop paradigm so and a bit of a road movie mm-hmm. as well as a political thriller. So um, uh, we serve up lots of uh, lots of action, uh, lots of comedy. And lots of drama. I mean, what's terrific about a show like this, um, I call it the meal as compared to the uh, snack. A movie is kind of like a snack. And this, you know, we get to sit down and really get to know our characters and we get to go home with them. Uh, We get to find out what's driving them, which is, you know, is very different than um, than the movies have been able to do before. Uh, so we're meeting some of our old friends and, um, we're getting to know them at a different level and they're getting to know themselves, yeah. uh, because the, you know, the actors who, who had played these characters for years, you know, we did a lot of ad living and a lot of, um, improv because the, the actors, you know, were discovering who they were as well even though they'd lived in these bodies for a long time, they hadn't gone home with them either. So it was, it's really, uh, you know, fun to, to feel like you're going on a ride with some friends. That's a really interesting point actually, because despite the fact that we've, we've seen Anthony Mackie since, whoa, 2014 was the first time we saw him. We've seen Sebastian Stan since 2011. Yes. 11. I usually know this stuff. It's gone out of my head for some reason. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I guess they, they've always been secondary to the main story in the MCU. And I got a sense with WandaVision that Lizzie Olsen and Paul Bettany were just delighted to show their range and show what they could do. We're already getting a sense of that uh, with episode one of Falcon and Winter Soldier that, you know, we've never seen Bucky in an ordinary 
domestic situation. We've never seen him on a date before because he's always been wreathed in grief, so to speak. That must be tremendously compelling to investigate. It was fantastic. And the actors really, you know, measured up. They they um, had great ideas. They came uh, full of thought, uh, you know. They're both. They're, they're all, all the all the actors in the in the show are um, equally uh, uh, accomplished or or passionate. But I would say the two of them, you know, because they had already been in the the universe for so long, but it had kind of a narrow lane that they were in. This because we got so much more time with them, we were able to really um, dig in, and it was I think a bit scary at times too because you know you're you're asking them to be vulnerable. Um, particularly Bucky, in a way that we haven't seen him vulnerable. He's, you know, he's been under the curse of of the brainwash thing that caused him to do uh, horrible stuff. Now he has to deal with that. That's pretty heavy stuff. Mm. And, you know, and how to find, figure out how he's relate, how he can relate back to society on a date. He's 106 years old, and it was really important to me that um, you know we saw that he, you know, even she was like how old are you? Like, because that he just, he was always like just misfiring, you know, kind of couldn't yeah. quite, um, uh, couldn't quite adapt to, uh, to modern times and modern women. Um, you know, and so we, we, uh, were able to have fun with that, but in having fun with it, it also was exposing a raw nerve. So in every scene like that, including, you know, the bank scene with, with, um, uh, with Sam and, and Sarah, hmm. you know, uh, that was, again, it was, ironic humor but it was so uncomfortable and the the racism that was embedded in in that in the dna of the the character became very uncomfortable and that was intentional but yet you're kind of smiling your way through it and then you're going wow you know i'm feeling that this is so i i'm hoping that we that we have presented these sort of big themes um and we're taking big swings at them but in such a way that they're they don't tie up in a nice little bow that we present it like a debate and we let the audience go on the journey with the characters and experience with them. It was very important to me that we had a sense of experience. So even the way um, I shot it, the way um, the camera worked, all always came from an experiential perspective so that we were really choosing where, where we were in the scene, whose head we were in and whose thoughts we were, you know, where our emotion was going to go and, and lie with, you know, the, like whether it would be Bucky or whether it'd be even the therapist. Um, so, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I guess as well, you know, having directed as much TV as you have over the years, you have experience of coming into a situation where actors are so locked into characters. And I, I've always been interested in how that works, how, what that the discussion's like and what the dialogue is like between a director who's coming onto something, directing a few episodes of a, of a show and an actor who's maybe been playing that character for years. That seems like it's not quite the same situation here because yeah. Mackie and, and Stan are as interested in exploring the new facets of, of Sam and Bucky as, as, as you would have been. Well, yeah. So there were, and, and we were all on a path of discovery to some degree. I mean, obviously we made some choices in the writing room, but, um, and we, we steered it in a particular direction. But we left lots of gaps and doors to go through so that we could, because we we also knew that these particular characters we had we before I met and knew them, uh, we watched um, Malcolm Spellman, myself and Zoe Nagel who, who, from Marvel, we uh, who are were tremendously um, uh, supportive and part of, you know, really it was the 
trifecta, uh, we looked at a lot of their interviews. So we could see the chemistry. You know, we could see who they were just by the the, the fun that they had, um, you know, as friends uh, while doing the, you know, the press road tours and such uh, for the MCU. So we had a, an impression of how easy this was going to be, you know, to 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 light that fire. Mm. Um, but what was really, I think, uh, admirable on both their parts was their willingness to go into places that was a bit uncomfortable. So for me, how I how I manage that, it's all about trust. And so I try to create a space that's safe and where experimenting and uh, trying stuff, you know, you can kind of do no wrong. Mm. Uh, because, you know, I keep saying, hey, if it, if it doesn't work, it won't be in the movie. So let's try something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, that's my mantra. If it sucks, it won't be in the movie. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and so at once once they start to to realize oh we're all on the same page yeah and that it's it's coming from that very supportive place um then it, it sort of opens up the world to 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 experimenting and then you do find something and if it doesn't work that's fine but out of the process of of exploration you've come up with something that works there are many surprising things about the first episode um not least of which is that at no point of the falcon and the winter soldier in the same frame, uh, which is which is interesting. Obviously, they do get together at some point. Uh, we've seen the trailer, maybe in the last episode. It'd be amazing if the last episode was they only got together in the very last scene. <laughs> That's it. Delayed gratification is the Marvel way. Um, but can you talk about that that decision, that approach uh, that that you and Malcolm took with this to keep Sam and Bucky uh, well, apart? Well, we had six hours, yeah. So um, you know, it was a matter of really deciding how best to, to set the table and then, uh, and then go on the journey. And I think what was um, a big part of the uh, imagining of how to, how to get into, you know, that, that road trip of it was uh, getting to know them individually first. And then also kind of enjoying the fact that we didn't have to rush. You know, we, we could actually take our time and so we tried, you know, in the, the beauty of post-production is you can try many different things and you can, you know, move stuff around. And so we tried many different things and decided that really what was terrific was to hold on to that nugget because we wanted to get to know them. And it, it once we once we were on the road, it, uh, you're on the road. You know, it's very hard to 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 take the time again because you're you're going to gallop. So mm. um, uh, that was really behind it. And then the more we looked at it that way, the more invested we became in telling, you know, setting the table with each different story and uh, and letting that letting out letting them become our friends. And then once we're you know, I think uh, someone put it uh, very appropriately. Um, and then, it, then it's going to feel like we're going, we're getting ready to go on a trip with our friends. <laughs> and um, not, not to um, you know, compare, uh, not to bring up One Division again, but uh, that is a show that, at the by the very end, was very clearly more focused on Wanda than it was on Vision. The first episode is more focused on Sam. You begin and end with Sam. By the end of this, well, if we talk again in six weeks' time and we're looking back on the show. Will it be roughly even or do you think it will ultimately be, say, Sam's story rather than Bucky's? I think we um, I think we give we there's no conscious decision to uh, give weight to one or the other. Um, so we really let the story and the character stories drive it um, as to, you know, where 
where we're going with them. You know, there, Sam picks up the shield and uh, we have to decide, he has to decide whether he wants it. And he has to decide if the shield, what it means to him is what it means and what it means to his community is something that's even relatable now. Mm. So he's he's got a lot of um, he's got a lot of work to do, and Bucky also has a lot of work to do. He has to not only consider the shield of it because it's now you know as the end of episode one is being carried by uh, somebody else, um, but what does he mean in this whole thing? What does the shield mean to? What did it mean to him? Because his friend. Um, uh, Steve mm. is gone and used to carry it. Mm. And the other big ponderous thing between them uh, is what is a hero today? So this, the, the shield, the story of the shield and how it winds us through um, the, the events that will unfold is also taking on the conversation of what does a hero represent or how is a hero today different from the hero that originally the origin of that shield and who carried it because the, the originally it was really a soldier warrior was the idea of a hero. And um, you know, we went with that for many decades and then nine uh, 11, I think started to shift that into first responder and frontline worker. Mm-hmm. And in this last year, um, that's become even more uh, significant as as a component to the hero. So, what does all that mean for both characters? So, it it is a discussion that has uh, equal weight. And uh, of course, the episode, in fact, the whole show begins uh, with with Sam's decision, as you say, to donate the shield to the Smithsonian to to reject the shield. And I, I don't know necessarily that it's so much that he's rejecting what Steve gave him, the mantle that Steve gave him. Um, perhaps he is running a little bit from that as well. But there is also, as you say, the implications for his community. Can can a black man be Captain America? What does that even mean in today's society? And there's this interesting thread that runs all the way through the the episode of that institutional racism, uh, which, which is epitomized in the very, very last shot, which is Sam shut out of the system completely, double-crossed by the system, watching on TV without warning as a new Captain America is unveiled to the world holding what should be his shield. Can you talk about that, the wider themes of the show, and and, and uh, kind of zooming in on them in the, in this first episode? Yeah, uh, you know, again, back to your other question of how to set the table, that was why, because we are dealing with some very big uh, big themes. There's obviously it's post blip. So uh, we are dealing with um, the fact that half the world has come back and shift is a, if the first part of the blip was a paradigm shift and you had people um, now who uh, finding new successes and also people finding losses, but there's a common, there was a common thread through society, which was mm. the grief of, of having lost half of the population. But also with that came opportunities and over five years, the world changed and then boom, it flips back and you flip the switch. And now you've got people who have, uh, have to give up their the progress that they might have made and and uh, other people are coming back not understanding that the world changed and so mm-hmm. 
um, you know, we, as a result of, of that construct, we're able to look at elitism and um, imperialism. And, you know, uh, even in the opening sequence, it's all about shifting borders and, and um, what does that mean? So, uh, the racial component was uh, one of the, the, I thought, the most important, uh, the story of the, that shield was the most important story of the century in my mind when, when I, mm. from the day one, because of that racial component to it, that we were able to finally really take a white iconic symbol and, and take it out for a road test and say, is this relevant anymore? Mm-hmm. What does this mean? And um, take on that debate through the characters and through through the um, uh, through the story uh, that of of that we were going to unfold and see it flip flop around, you know. So and does Sam want it? He doesn't want it, you know. To start with, mm-hmm. it, he gives it up, um, saying it's 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 Steve's, it's old, it's past. But then it comes back in his face. So what does that mean, you know, and, and how is that going to resolve? Um, so that just that story and setting up that the, the meanings behind that as we go down the road and we continue um, to deal with it, uh, I think we've set the emotional context behind it for both men. And that is uh, the, was to me the most compelling and important thing to get right so that as we go through our story, we understand emotionally where they're coming from. I want to talk about that opening sequence as well. Although the opening shot, uh, Carrie, is of Sam ironing, and I wondered if that was a sly Iron Man joke. <laughs> uh, no, I wish I could tell you it was, but uh, <laughs> but no, it wasn't. But but I, I I'm happy to spread that rumor. Oh yeah, take it. <laughs> I wish take I was it. that smart. <laughs> <laughs> now it is official. That was a deliberate Iron Man joke. <laughs> but that opening sequence is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. And I imagine that over the weekend, you ha- your phone was ringing off the hook with lots of TV showrunner friends of yours going, come on, man, give us a chance. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> we can't compete with that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, listen, it was such a fun thing to do. I um, it looked at a lot of extreme sports videos. Um, the goal was to see, knowing that Sam, we were going to see him fly more than we'd seen him fly before because we were just with him more. Uh, and that sequence was going to be, a, a, you know, wanted to be a really rock and roll sequence, sequence mm. as well as setting up the world, right? Because it, it also has to serve on a, a few different levels um, for story as well as for character because I wanted to see him flying like we've never seen before. And technolo- you know, I felt like our our um, aesthetic has changed over the last several years because cameras have gotten smaller. We mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to see action from a, from a, um, you know, a uh, benign perspective. We can actually be in the action cameras. You can slap them on people. Um, so, you know, we, we aimed to uh, put cameras on our, uh, the folks and they, we, they jumped out of planes and jumped back into helicopters. And, but, you know, it was all with GoPros and, uh, and trying to make it as experiential as possible. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And uh, I'm just going to ask real, real quick, Lynn, about um, uh, your choice of shot in introducing John Walker, who smirks and winks at the camera in a way that Steve Rogers would never dare. Uh, that's a great way to put it. Uh, 
Well, I wanted it to be hero, you know, kind of heroic and um, uh, uh, monumental, and so it was low angles and big. And you know, we we put them in in um, the, the, this you know sort of portico that was very uh, um, big big government vibe. Uh, so it had all of that, you know, weight behind it. Um, and uh, also you don't really get to know him, right? You see mm-hmm. his back and you see the shield and you see, but you don't really get to see who he is um, until, because it's, you know, just the nature of how we did it. And then of course there's the television of it. So you, 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 it's all about who, who is this? What is this? And then boom, you know, that wink. And that was completely um, uh a moment, you know, that, that Wyatt brought to the party. He, he, Oh, so it wasn't scripted. Uh, the wink wasn't scripted. No, no, oh. no, that was him bringing the, uh, bringing that moment to the party. And that was fantastic. That's what I allowed. I mean, all of the actors brought lots of moments like that to the, to the, um, to the, to the story, because, you know, once they, once they got inside their character, they were, you know, they were able to play. And so, like I said, if, as long as it's safe space, we get to do, and and out of that comes brilliance. Mm. Well, Carrie, it's fantastic. Hopefully, we'll we'll speak again in a few weeks' time and uh, delve deep into the whole thing. Until then, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. Nice to meet you. Like likewise, thank you. So that was Carrie Scoglund, and next up, you're going to hear from Malcolm Spellman, who is the showrunner of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and that is where we began with a discussion about what his job title actually is. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the head writer and showrunner. And uh, what's, what's your job title, actually, Malcolm Spellman? Is it you know, Grand Poobah, Big Cheese, Head Wizard? What's, uh, we, what's we, we, we keep it at head writer, uh, uh, executive producer. Executive producer. I'm going to throw in Big Grand Poobah uh, just for just for good measure. Uh, Malcolm general, Spellman. Yeah. <laughs> I, take, I take Grand Poobah even when I'm not working at Marvel. <laughs> you know, you can get your business card. Printed with Grand Poobah on it from now on. Yeah, that's the way to go. I might get a forehead tattoo that says it. (laughs) So you are are basking in the glory of the first episode, which came out on Friday. And uh, the internet has been aglow with reactions ever since. After the episode, you probably would have expected the internet to be abuzz with speculation about who's this new Captain America dude? Where the hell has Steve Rogers gone? And that all happened... But were you surprised that so much of the discourse was focused on Sam being denied a bank loan? And why the hell did Tony Stark not give these guys like a billion dollars each in his will? It's well, number one, I I would ask you this. Does Sam seem like someone who would take a billion dollars? You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's you see who he is. You know, that's that's a black man from the South. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He going to work for everything he gets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I was really glad to see the audience was vibing with that, you know, with, with the, the bank loan scene, because that's sort of like the, 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 the beauty of doing these series is that you can, you can, you can get into their lives. Yeah. And also it's really interesting because the episode obviously has a big, big action sequence to, to start off with in terms of establishing its action credentials. But the, the dramatic climax of the show, uh, of the episode is obviously Sam discovering that he's been shut out of the loop big time and yep. he's a feed the new Captain America, but it's also the, the bank loan sequence. Uh, and that's a, that's a interesting scene of, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on there. There's, you know, obviously Sam's relationship with Sarah, his sister, there is the, 
grander thematic preoccupation of the show as well about the institutional racism. Uh, but it's still a it's still a very very bold statement for a show like this, which people are expecting to whiz and bang every five minutes, to end with these two quiet scenes. Was that something that you wanted to do from the off? Yeah, it was the whole collective man was was on board. Like the vision was, you know, I showed up and talked about what I wanted to do. They already had stuff they wanted to do. And I think they knew that a black man taking on that symbol was not going to be a simple discussion. You just you would be fake if you did it. And they're not interested in that. You know, they 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 want you to tell a great story. First and foremost, mm. I think, you know, a lot we got a tremendous amount of goodwill because of Black Panther, you know what I'm saying? Because that had already blown open what a hero could be and look like and sound like. Um, And the Marvel fans embraced it, you know what I'm saying? So um, I think that helped us a a lot. And yeah, man, it it was no doubt that 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 had to be discussed at the forefront. Um, Just Sam not taking that shield is as powerful as him taking it. And they both come from and that decision is rooted in the bank loan and the betrayal by the government at the end and the jokes of his nephews and sister calling him Uncle Sam. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, uh, that that's that's all one stew. Yeah. The decision not to take the shield is really, really interesting as well. I thought um, going into this, this show that we knew that Sam wasn't going to be Captain America. The, the show's title alone tells you that. But... My impression was going to be, or my my guess was going to be, that the government were going to say, hang on a second, mate, that shield is not Steve Rogers to give you. That is not his right. So we're going to challenge you, and then we're going to have our own guy. It's interesting that it's Sam's decision from the off. Was that something that that you wanted to – is that what you went into the room initially if I'm, talking if about? If I'm honest, I almost want to give that to Nate. So Marvel partners you – Yeah with a creative producer and they, you work with them directly the whole way through. And I, um, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like my initial instinct was to have the government take it. Mm-hmm. And Nate wanted to put it on character. I, I, but I can't remember it's you work so hard, you know, where, where that came from, but all that stuff. How about this? Every single one of those moments comes from a tremendous amount of thought. We have an entire writer's room, mm-hmm. you know, in America, you have one writer per episode and we have the Marvel partners who are equally creative, all sitting in a room for eight to 12 hours a day, five, six days a week. And that's a discussion, everything. So I, it was the government taking it was was also discussed. In my opinion, the spirit of that is there anyway. You know what I'm saying? That betrayal is there no matter what. Mm. They, they almost double cross them. They almost... <laughs> they're smiling they're glad handing him yo give us a shield Sam and then stab him in the back with it at the end you, you really made the right decision here Sam you know what I'm saying because we yeah. know what we're going to do yeah, it's, I mean again it, it, it is it's, and there's a truth to it you know in terms of finding the stories for Sam and Bucky the things that will drive them through not just this episode but the next five episodes uh, was there how many iterations did you go through was this something that you seared in on very very quickly it's I'd say this, the character journeys survived every iteration of the show. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. we, we we dialed in on those and you if you're going if you're going for a truthful place and you're trying to write stuff that means something within whatever world you've created or entered, you know, some of this stuff is out of your hands. If you if you're not 
being fake. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And um, those survived. But the show went through a million different iterations. In what way? I swear, like one thing I've been thinking about is seeing if I could hit uh, uh, the guys at Marvel about turning old manifestations of it into a book because it just was like that group, the collective we put together was just dialed in on the times in a way that's uncanny. Like you're going to see it in this series, but even the stuff you're not going to see is just, it's, it was on point. Interesting. I'm very intrigued to see where you're going to take this uh, in the next, in the next five episodes. Uh, I feel like you're going to get a sense in episode two. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing as well, because I think as as enjoyable as episode one is, there's a very deliberate decision here, which is that you keep Sam and Bucky apart. There's not even a hint that they, these two guys might hook up for whatever reason. Um, can you talk about that decision? That Kevin, for I, it's such a good decision. I'm trying to find a way to steal some credit for it. But <laughs> Kevin had that off top before I walked through the door. He knew that was something he wanted. Yeah. And the reason why is obvious. You have this series that's going to do a deeper dive into these people, right? Mm-hmm. If you contextualize them as a team right off top, then that's what they are, right? And so by giving them the pilot to really etch out their who they are, their flaws, their traumas, their strengths as individuals, it makes them partnering up way more, may way more. It makes them partnering up an event. You know what I'm saying? Um, because they got a chance to exist on their own and get those runners going. But that was your boy Kevin Feige. You know what I'm saying? Who 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 wanted that? But I want. I feel like I would have came up with it at some point. <laughs> but I, but I did. Well, Malcolm, you hey, as the grand poobah of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, just take the credit for it, man. Uh, you know. Yeah, I, if if I'm the grand pooba that there is a grand pooba of Marvel, um. <laughs> <laughs> precisely. So I mean, is Kevin? Kevin is uh, he's some sort of maniacal genius? I think sometimes the way he keeps all this stuff in his head. I presume he has it written down somewhere. Um, be terrible if he just forgot where he was going with the MCU. But do you? As a showrunner on this thing, do you check in with the other showrunners just to make sure that, hey, guys, we're thinking of doing this, and then WandaVision go, well, we're doing the same thing. We have to stop Here's this. Here's the magic of this, bro. They don't let us talk to nobody, right? And so I see Jack from WandaVision in the lunchroom every day, uh-huh. and we can't talk about what each other's doing. But the, ge- and the genius of that is you create this bubble where you are allowed to work and be creative in a pure way because you're not encumbered by nothing else that's going on. But because I got Nate Moore and Zoe Nagelhut as my partners, right? They know everything. So if I were to, if I had written a scene where Sam and Bucky walk into a room and, you know, Wanda and uh, Vision are making out, right? Um, um, They would have been like, no, 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 you can't do that. So they're kind of like your Sherpas, Luke. They, they guide you. They guide you through the giant evolving organism that is the MCU. But they they put blinders on you for your project. <laughs> That's wild. So are you saying that there was a previous iteration of the show in which Sam and Bucky walked in to find Wanda and Vision making out? Because that's, that's headline news, Malcolm. 
Oh, that'd, that'd be a scene, right? <laughs> I'm not going to riff too much, but you could really riff on that kind. <laughs> you really could. You really, really could. Um, <laughs> so so that's, that's hint as much as we can about where things are going to go. So you say episode two is going gonna, is gonna to kick in. Uh, does the tone of the show change uh, at all? It, it, it's, 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 so the tone of the show is very much of the buddy two-handers on the more dramatic side uh 48 hours lethal weapon right mm-hmm. those two movies were able to tackle race and the vietnam war right mm-hmm. that's how old lethal weapon is like those characters in there are dealing with not right yeah yeah and they were able to do it without losing the fun you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and and but at the same time without blinking so the tone has the broadness of Broadness, not as far as comedy, but broadness as far as range of where it can go dramatically and comedically as those movies. So I wouldn't say the tone's going to change. I'm gonna, I would say the tone has so much range that you've only seen one dimension of it. And it's going to get serious at times, too. I can imagine it is. And there's there's a intriguing number of gaps in the credit sequence at the end, uh, people who we may not have seen yet. It, it is so fascinating. You know what I'm saying? Like... Marvel plays such a, a refined game with that stuff, you know, because I don't want no spoilers, but I know this, this is this is the relationship they have with the fans and they're the best at it. Because we know, we know, Malcolm, that there is going to be Sharon Carter. We know there is going to be a SEMO at some point, maybe episode two, maybe maybe some way down the line. Who knows? But um the, as the show goes into its more fantastical side, as, as villains are introduced and and conflict begins to rise as well. Will the domestic side of things, the domestic drama side of things, continue to roll roll alongside Sam and Bucky kicking ass, for example? You know, the, the, the yeah. bank loan scene isn't going to be isolated, for for example. No, well, we, well, and you'll see immediately what, what I'm about to say, you'll see embodied in episode two, mm. which is you try and bring, so you try and bring those character threads to life in the form of when they're, if they're off fighting, you know, what uh, his sister say, Dr. Space Cape, um, <laughs> if they're off fighting Dr. Space Cape, right? Yeah. You want Dr. Space Cape to have some minions around him or her so that that embody those personal journeys. And you'll get a sense of what I mean in episode two. You've talked in the past, uh, in fact, Falcon and Winter Soldier is on the cover of Empire magazine right now, right as we speak. And uh, you talk in that as well about how the show will tackle themes of patriotism and nationalism and and race, um, all of which are established and explored in episode one. Um, That's right. Is there anything thematically that has yet to be introduced, or can you talk a little bit further about how you're going to dig into those those grand themes? It, it it's it broadens as as Sharon. Walker and Zemo get more time, it broadens into there's a bigger theme going on for all those characters, which is identity and what how their identities are forged in either being an outsider or a black man or though Bucky's not an addict, you see that he's dealing with trauma in the way that an addict does by making amends, right? Mm -hmm. These are all very, very human, very, very 2021 issues that they have to deal with and each of these characters is going to be seen by the audience in one light when you when you first meet them and over the course of the series and they see themselves 
probably in a very similar light and their identities are going to evolve as they go through this crucible. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And eat, some of them fail and, you know, it, it, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's, I think identity and the shift of it and who you think you are and who people think you are, mm-hmm. that's going to unify all of them. And that, that'll be explored more and more as more people emerge. Does it, does it help in a way? I, I spoke to Carrie a little bit about this earlier on, but because, you know, obviously Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, they've been around in the MCU for a while, but they've always been there almost in service of, of Steve Rogers and the wider MCU storyline. So it's almost like you start with a fresh, clean slate with them here. Yeah, but at the same time, Anthony and Sebastian have done a tremendous amount of work on those characters. That's why yeah. they're able to make them so real when they are on screen, right? Mm. And so we had to find new backstories that jived with their backstories and psychologies that they'd already written. So we needed to stretch them without snapping the rubber band mm. so that they could be still just as good. And yeah, it was great that we had a, a, a little bit of snow, clean snow to play with because it allowed us to refine them in ways that felt rooted into in today's times. And, you know, at the same time, all the DNA of what these actors had already done with them, we had to be mindful of that and, and, and in, in court and fold it in. We've talked a little bit about Sam's story as well and, and how you found his through line. Um, Bucky's story seems to be about trying to make amends and you have this idea of can these superhuman beings live normal lives you know and how do they go about do they get bank loans you know what does Bucky do for a living all that sort of thing can he be can he live a life can he find happiness Um, but Bucky's storyline seems to be about making amends where did that idea come from for you guys it it was he's done so much awful shit Um, Mm -hmm. and the fact that he was aware you know what I'm saying? Meaning, though, even though his mind was being controlled, he remembers every person he killed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which means a part of him was there. We wanted to distill that into a single storyline that if he fails in a storyline or succeeds, it determines who he is in the MCU. And the, the only way to do that in a way that was organized and emotional was to create this one person who embodies all of them, all the people he's killed. You know what I'm saying? And then, and, and, and to use amends as a way to attack that creates a shorthand with the, the audience, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that they get the emotional ladder that he's climbing and that he's even a fall off of or, or, or scale to actually becoming free of all that. Mm. And uh, I have to ask, is, is, is Bucky a fan of My Name is Earl? as well which is <laughs> i remember that show yeah i mean i think you know it's it's the same spirit i think that's actually a testament that you brought that up to how these characters to me that what we all did together as a group was created characters that resonate like when you do a show like my name is earl you're trying to touch as many people as possible mm-hmm. and you're trying to form a character that people can relate to. He's a, you know, dude, like, I think he's kind of like a trailer park guy. I can't remember Mm -hmm. for sure. You know what I'm saying? And that Bucky has something in common with him, despite being a superhero who's 106 years old, I think is a testament to how grounded they are in what people are dealing with today. And uh, the last thing we're going to ask you, Malcolm, is about John Walker, who you introduce, you blindside Sam, you blindside everybody at the end by introducing him as the new Captain America. 
winking and smirking and looking smug uh, and frankly punchable. Um, <laughs> was that the desired effect? Yeah, we. you'll see that we had to pull him back from the books a little bit mm-hmm. because I think a ton of the hate is A, how it happened because the government basically betrayed Sam, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's a black man and that's loaded with his own stuff. And B, the books, if anyone who knows who John Walker is, you you ain't showing up to love him, right? What people are going to be surprised about, though, is we really wanted to make him worthy of the shield and worthy of being capped. So though we not defiling who John Walker was, we built him out a little bit more to make him much more deserving of the shield, which you'll see in episode two. Interesting, interesting. But you know what? John Walker's the type of guy who would take a billion dollars and just and just run off with it. <laughs> Maybe not so much Sam, but uh, my, my very last question. Is that where Steve's gone? Steve's taken a billion dollars and just gone off to a desert island. Is that where he's gone? Yeah, Steve had enough of being everybody's hero. And he's like, you know, once he saw the bag of money, um, um, he took it. And now Steve is a playboy. And I'm joking. <laughs> Steve is on the moon. Steve's on the moon. All right. Fantastic. Malcolm Spellman, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much indeed. Great. Thank you, my man. Thank you. Take care. And that was Carrie Scogland and Malcolm Spellman. And now I am delighted to be joined in our virtual pod booth by Helen O'Hara. Hello. And Amon Warman. Hello. For a quick chat about all things Sam and Bucky and their adventures in the MCU to date. Because it occurred to me that we haven't really done this. Uh, we haven't really talked about these characters in depth yet uh, on the podcast, apart from fleeting mentions, of course, in our Endgame and Infinity War spoiler specials and Civil mm. War and Winter Soldier and all that jazz. Um, but we haven't really talked about these characters yet. Our favourite moments, whether you know whether or not you know we think they'll they'll work without Steve Rogers these are characters very very connected to Steve Rogers how will they fly without him fly <laughs> get some good stuff good stuff so yeah where where do we stand where do we stand on Sam and Bucky in the MCU to date um well obviously our main complaint read uh, end game was more more um which was a shame but uh especially <laughs> as regards bucky like i think i genuinely think they're missing just one moment there of like acknowledgement but uh, with, with, i think from whom from, from with, steve. with steve and steve and bucky steve. needed they just needed a little moment when he when he came through they just needed like one tiny moment it didn't have to be yeah. big it had to be there um you know i don't have a lot of criticisms of endgame but that is one of them uh, like so, you yeah. even have a criticism of Endgame is a shock to me. I'm <laughs> staggering back in my chair right I now. I know, I know. Usually I'm too busy <laughs> hating on DC because, you know, of all the gold yachts that Marvel keeps sending me to make me like their films more. Um, but uh, but no, I, I am very a very big fan of both. I think they've been really well used in the films generally. Um, and I'm excited to actually get more time with them as characters instead of as add-ons to Steve. So... I think it was a good decision to have Bucky be more of a a peer and equal and childhood friend of Steve's. And in fact, the kind of cooler and more capable of the two. I thought that was a really good change from the comic books where he is the kind of kid sidekick. And I think that Sam's introduction, where they basically play it as a rom-com, you know, with the meet cute and the sort of 
turning up on each other's doorstep and in each other's lives was beautifully done in in Winter Soldier and uh, their kind of banter and the kind of ease that Anthony Mackie has has been mm-hmm. delightful, consistently delightful. So I'm just I'm hyped, man. I like them. They're good people, and their and their their slight jealousy of each other and this whole sort of dueling girlfriends thing that they have going on is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely second all of that. Uh, the opening to Winter Soldier is one of my favorite scenes in the MCU uh, period. I just love how that fast friendship is established, and there's so much sort of almost heavy lifting that you have to do to get you know, to a stage where you go from these guys who are complete strangers to, you know, these guys who are by the end of that movie, they're like, ride or die, I'm with you, let's go. And you completely believe it um, because uh, Anthony Mackie is so good in that role and the chemistry, the immediate chemistry that he has with uh, Chris Evans in, in that film in particular is great. Um, and I really, like, I really liked how Bucky has evolved. I wish that he uh, got mm. more screen time across mm-hmm. the last three films that he's really been in. Um, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited for this show. I mean, I think in the first episode alone, Bucky has more dialogue than he has in the last three films that he's been in, which is insane to me. Um, but it's already having an impact, just spending more time with these characters. And the fact that, you know, uh, I was reading uh, Ben Travis's Empire feature, and uh, I think one of the things he says in that is that they basically had this idea to have a show with these two guys of that one 12 second scene. How about moving the seat in the uh, car? And it's, uh, it's the only good part. Yeah, it's the only good part of my only criticism of Civil War, which is that kiss that uh, Chris has with. Um, I don't remember that. Uh, oh, Agent thirteen. Oh, you mean Chris uh, Evans? But- okay. <laughs> Not you, Chris. Okay. Yeah, and uh, you know th- they make that scene. Th- that that's the best part of that scene, just their reaction to it, and the fact that you know that was the that was the thing that made them have this idea potentially. A show with these two with these two characters down the road is amazing. Um, but you know, beside all of that, just the friendship between Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan outside of uh, the MCU has just been a joy to watch. And I'm looking forward to actually seeing these characters be on screen together in this show, which we haven't seen yet. It's interesting, isn't it? There's the um, apart from the brief button at the end of Black Panther. This is the first time that Sebastian Stan will be saying dialogue in the MCU that isn't written by Marcus McFeely. Yeah, that's that's kind of wild. Um, yeah. and and, wow. and Mackie's not that far off either. I mean, you know, he appears mm. briefly in Age of Ultron and he has that mm-hmm. little cameo in Ant Man. But otherwise, these are characters that have been shaped by Marcus McFeely and yeah. the Russos to a, to a large and degree. The Russos, yeah, I, I, and I, I do slightly worry about that because I think one of the things, one of the reasons honestly, that I like, I like Cap more than pretty much anybody else in the MCU is he's had a remarkably consistent um, level of storytelling. And actually now, if you go back and watch him in Avengers, his character feels wrong, actually, because he has been consistently developed elsewhere. And some of the stuff he says in the, in the two Avengers films that Joss Whedon wrote, it just doesn't feel right. It isn't like that's not correct. The way, he's, the way he speaks, the way he acts, it's not correct. It's close, but it's not correct. And I think <laughs> it's not my Steve. It's not I would, right. No, I would. I do not accept <laughs> Hashtag it. Hashtag not not my Steve. Cap not blonde. Language. Wait, no. <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> I, I understood that reference is great, but um, I See, will I allow actually, some of it. I, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, but I don't like that line. 
it's become a meme and it's become a huge thing, but it's, it really? seems it's more self-aware wow. than I think Steve would be. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just love it because it's funny um, yeah. and I'm he's, very easily He's played as a little bit of an idiot yeah. at times in the first, in the yeah. first half of, of Avengers <laughs> in particular. And why are we talking about Steve? I'm, this is what happens with Bucky and Sam. This is the problem. We're always going to come back to Steve. And this <laughs> is the reason maybe, I'm excited about not. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yes, because yeah. finally we might get a chance to mm. talk about not yeah. Steve for once. Maybe by the end of this show, we'll be like, Steve who? Yeah, fuck that guy. I mean, not fuck no, that we're guy. No, we're not. Well, I mean, no, well, you we're might, not. Well, we're obviously, yeah, but mean, language. But no. But language yes. that guy. <laughs> yeah, as much as I absolutely love Marcus and McFeely and the job they've done across not just the Captain America films, but the Avenger films, I'm really excited that Malcolm Spellman um, and obviously the other people in the writers' mm. room are getting a crack uh, at Sam Wilson in particular. This is the first time that character is going to be written by a black man yeah. uh, in the MCU. And I think that was already, you're, you're already beginning to see the effects and the impact of that with the scene between Don Cheadle and Anthony Mackie in the first episode. That felt like, you know, n- not, not only in sort of the writing, but also in how it was performed. It just felt blacker than, than, <laughs> than much of the MCU, well, <laughs> than much of the other stuff in the MCU, yeah. aside from Black Panther, of course. And I think in a show like this, where you're dealing with the themes mm. that you are dealing with and you're focusing on the character that you are, you need to have that, those type of people in the writer's room uh, sort of steering mm. that, this That's character. absolutely right, because we haven't actually had a lot of, uh, of time with, with uh, Falcon and Rhodey together. And it feels like they would naturally have conversations because they are both Air Force, both veterans, you know, they, they've kind of similar backgrounds to a degree. And, and instead we get them both playing foil to a white dude uh, for a lot of their screen time. So this is, it is really valuable. And it did feel really important that they had that scene in there. I'm, I'm so glad that Don Cheadle was free and able to do that because um, it was such a good way of setting it up. And it also, it makes sense. He would, of course he would be there. That That's, that's the thing that he would do. Um, mm. So... Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I am excited to see them dig into some real issues in this show as well, like you say. Yeah, as Malcolm Spillman said in the interview, I mean, he was talking about you know the the idea of of tracing and tracking the racism that you know the insidious racism of of institutions in the in the states, and of course you know the way they did blindside Sam and they shot him out of the, the decision to bring in a new Captain America. Uh, also, um, Amon, I know that um, we've talked about this. Uh, Privately, off mic, but uh, I know that you were, well, maybe you weren't disappointed, I can't remember, um, but I think you're disappointed, weren't you, that Sam hasn't taken up the mantle and the shield that he, because that he, that's the way that Endgame left it, right? I mean, he also says, you know, he, he, he says it feels like someone else's, but he also says, thank you, I'll do my best. Yes, thank you for reminding me that, because that moment was big for me um, in Avengers Endgame. Uh, and the fact that they are backtracking, uh, from that a little bit did frustrate me initially. I am excited for the storytelling possibilities it presents. And I think they, they've already sort of begun to set that up in a very intriguing way. Um, because, you know, when you sort of take a step back from that moment and you think about what that responsibility is, I can absolutely sort of, you know, get Sam's hesitancy. Uh, to take on that mantle immediately. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting. I can see versions, uh, of the show, which just start off as Anthony Mackie being Captain America from the get go and then go from, then it goes from there. But I think 
what they are trying to do, um, at least with the things that they have looked to have set up in the first episode, uh, could be more interesting. Mm. So we'll see how we go. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not just like the, the whole backtrack. It's like the, the way Anthony Mack has been you know, speaking about, uh, this show in interviews sometimes in terms of, um, you know, I, he never fully accepted the mantle. That's not true, Anthony. <laughs> I was, I watched Avengers Endgame. You said I'll do my best. There was soaring superhero music playing in the background. There was a moment <laughs> you said yes. So just, you know, admit that before you sort of, you know, Sorry, you, you sound like somebody in a wrong you know, We had a moment, Anthony. Oh my God. <laughs> you How said, can you ghost you. me like this? You shook Steve's hand. You looked an old man in the eyes and you <laughs> lied to him. <laughs> outrageous but yeah i guess i guess this is one of the the problems isn't it that when you have multiple creators and this happens in the comics all the time that you'll Mm. have a comic book writer he'll come on after after a very very long arc you know and they won't necessarily like the direction that the previous writer took the character in and they'll go right so how can we retcon this and life model decoy precisely clone Um, yeah it's like thanks a bunch chris claremont now we've got to undo 30 years of your naughty continuity what's going on um but it's a little bit like that but also it's yeah, you can kind of see why they would go down this route. Uh, it, it, I, you know, I'd be I'd be astonished if Sam isn't Captain America by the end of this this uh, season yeah, series. There's a clear endpoint for him, right, at the end of this show, which is I think he will become Captain America. How mm. they get around the idea that Steve was a super soldier who could you know do incredible things acrobatically? Are they going to come up with some sort of you know, hinky super soldier serum for him, or are they just going to rely on his training and the fact he's got, you know, really, really kick-ass wings uh, to get him by? I wonder if that's that's going to be something that the show will explore. But what's the end point for, for Bucky? Where do you see Bucky coming out at the end of this, this six-episode run? I don't think he's got the same sort of end game, if you will forgive the oh. word. No, I, d- I don't, like, I don't think he ends up sort of out in public. I don't think he ends up, uh, you know, standing on a podium next to Sam. Or we haven't talked about Joaquin Torres as well, who I know, Amon, you had a theory about his endgame on the show. Yeah. Uh, you say that, you know, uh, Anthony Mackie, Sam, <laughs> I keep confused. You say that uh, Sam Wilson's going to become sort of Captain America mm-hmm. by the end of the series. I think it's going to end with him becoming Captain America and then Joaquin Torres uh, becoming Falcon, uh, which is... If, if that happens, that will be sort of straight mm. from the comics. Cause once, uh, Sam becomes Cap, he becomes Falcon and, and, you know, they, mm. they have missions together. Uh, so one, one is the hero, one is the sidekick. Um, so still keeping that dynamic, which would be very, very interesting yeah. and very, very cool. Um, Marvel, the M- MCU is becoming more and more inclusive, uh, you know, as mm-hmm. it goes on, especially phase four, I think is very, very big for that. And that will just be another example of, uh, of that. Yeah, because I think I think a Latina representation is still lagging a bit um, on screen, so it would be would be a bit of a step forward. But what so what I was saying about Bucky is I don't I don't think that's quite his arc. I think he continues to be a little bit shadowier. I think he he tends to at best occupy a Natasha level, um, and I think that's likely to continue. He of course you know has has history with Natasha in the comics and on screen, but a very different kind of history. So um, it'll be interesting to see if there's any. Black mm-hmm. Widow tie-in as we go as well, of course. When she's film. resurrected at the end of her movie, you mean? <laughs> sure, sure. 
<laughs> or maybe they transfer that entire history over to uh, her sister. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I think any sort of major development Bucky will have by the end of the series will be mm. introspective uh, in terms of sort of how he's learning to live world. and be yeah. out in the mm. world again. Because that, that's what's been set up in the first episode. He's got a lot of red in his ledger now. I mean, his um, ledger is which, entirely red. It's, yeah. it's way more so <laughs> yeah. than Natasha's. Yeah. It's just drenched in yeah. red. Yeah. So I, I think I, I, it's a tricky thing because I don't know if somebody can ever sort of fully get to the other side of that. Um, you, you mean you mm. say he's, he's, his, his ledger is drenched in red and he remembers every one of them, as he said in Civil War. But I do think we'll get some sort of development um, in regards to that, uh, and I think I think it's just going to be one of the things, one of those things which is a constant work in progress for him, really. Yeah, he's more born, isn't he? Like he doesn't get to the end of his list necessarily, but mm -hmm. he can maybe do enough to get some peace. And again, I'll, I've said it before; I'll say it again. Not culpable, maybe guilty, <laughs> but he, maybe feeling guilty, but he is not, in fact, culpable. He is not. He had no free will. You need free will, Mandrea. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's at this point okay. that I will exit the conversation and leave <laughs> person having to do that Don't thing. Don't make me get out the PowerPoint again, guys. Come we on, have. we've been through this. We have been here before. Uh, it's a it's a nice excuse, Buck. It's a nice excuse. It's not but... an excuse. It's an oh, essential no. element of the crime essential of murder, element. which he doesn't uh -huh. have. Uh huh. Sure. Sure. Uh huh. Oh yeah. My God. Nice one. Nice one, Madlock. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> I prefer Murdoch, but thanks. Really? Rupert Murdoch? No. Oh my god. Matt Murdoch, you oh, psycho. Matt Murdoch. <laughs> All right, I was wondering for a second there. That, and now, actually, now you've said Matt Murdoch, it makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> given, given what we're talking about. But but, 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 but hey-ho, anywho, we're getting way more quickly than I expected into predicting where the show is going to go. But, uh, you know, maybe they're all Captain America at the end of the show. <laughs> maybe that's what happens. <laughs> I mean, there's precedent. I mean, there is precedent. Bucky has obviously taken up the shield in mm -hmm. the past. Um, did quite well with the physical stuff. Wasn't so good at the speeches. So that was a bit of a bit of a drawback there. Yeah, he's a strong silent type, isn't he? Yeah. He, he tried, to be fair to him, but, you know. I was discussing this show with uh, another friend of mine uh, a few days ago, and he sort of posited a scenario where wherein uh, Bucky and Sam are sharing Captain America duties and stuff like that, and I just was like a hard no. You don't do a show like this and have the opportunity that you have with Captain America, um, you know, mm -hmm. and that title and that mantle um, being sort of given to a black man and then do something like that. You just don't. If, you, if that happened, the way that, you no, know, not only me, but the way black Twitter would just go absolutely ballistic. <laughs> and and, then, and, then, and we will be well within our rights. I don't, I don't think um, it's going to go that way. As, 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 you, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, I think this series does end with Sam sort of mm. fully in that mantle. And mm. it'd be very interesting to see how he then goes forth from that and sort of uh, what his role will be with you know, the next um, sort of creation of the Avengers mm. and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, I imagine that uh, Sam, especially in the wake of sort of Black Panther and everything that's happened with Chadwick Boseman um, over the past few months, I think uh, he's going to have 
an elevated role in the MCU, not just mm. sort of with this with this show, but going forward as well. Yeah, I think I think they need him. I think that you need someone as kind of good as he is. I hope we get a Captain America movie with him, whether whether or not Bucky is is in it or involved. You know, Bucky might might die at the end of the show. We don't know. We don't what? know these things. Get out of town. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. At some point, you know, some of these characters are gonna are gonna bite the the bullet. They're gonna live in a farm with Hawkeye or, or, or whatever. <laughs> just saying. I don't think he Hawkeye will. Hawkeye doesn't just live saying. on a farm with Hawkeye anymore. Not in the show. He won't anyway. But I do hope that we get to see Mackie top line a, a Captain America movie that, that would be nice uh, down the line whether it's 2024 2025 uh, it's you know that that would be lovely to see the the interesting thing about Sam is that Sam doesn't have that tortured past that Bucky does Bucky in a way does remind me a little bit of of Wanda in that he is clearly inherently innately decent kind good mm-hmm. but has endured a lot of grief there's a lot of guilt there's a lot of survivor's guilt there's a lot of murderer's guilt or manslaughter's like, guilt sorry guilt. He- sorry thank Helen. You, thank you. sorry i forgot he manslaughtered tony's parents sorry yeah, about he that did. um <laughs> he <laughs> was there when the, he was there when they chose to die that's that's not <laughs> that's, how it works just <laughs> he just happened to be in the area he right, was adjacent it. to tony's we're, parents we're doing this we're getting the flow charts out afterwards, okay? I'm getting the flow charts out again. I'm sorry. Anywho, my point is his ledger, as we said, is bedecked with loads of lovely red, lots of shades of red, crimson all over the shop. And he reminds me a little bit of Wanda in that he has the ability to obviously, you know, fight for the good guys, but he can, with a simple push, commit atrocities and murders and and work for the bad guys as well and i do wonder if the work that shuri did on his brain is completely irreversible we know the simo is knocking around in this show we know the simo knows the words that can unlock bucky and unlock the winter soldier more accurately and i wonder if there might be an element of that that this guy that you think you can trust in battle might just be turned against you and become a pretty handy weapon. Uh, do you think that's going to be an element as we, as we tick down? I mean, it's it's possible, but I feel like it's unlikely because it was such a big part of Civil War was this idea that Bucky couldn't trust himself and you couldn't trust Bucky. Um, so I feel like it might be a little bit of a backward step in a way that isn't helpful uh, to do that again. Uh, it's not impossible. It, you know, it is something again, something that's happened in the comics. It is something that he's worried about. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we've we've been there a little bit, and we might have moved past it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see them going back to that. Well, Buck, Bucky's already a far more interesting character just off this first episode, trying to deal yeah. with all this stuff. It's very. It's more interesting to me just to see sort of how far he gets down that road and to sort of follow that, rather than go back to turning him into a weapon and having him go uh, against Sam. Well, it's interesting because I just wonder if, I, I, I would be surprised if we didn't have a scene where Simo at least gives it a go and he starts shouting out, Furnace! <laughs> Boxcar! 17. Boxcar! Homecoming! I'd not be surprised if they have a scene alluding to that and play it off for laughs and that would be yeah, a good Yeah, I think laugh. that's entirely possible. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you think he has like a, a different combination of words will unlock different aspects of his personality so... <laughs> Suddenly he'll be really, really great at baking cakes if you just get the right combination of words. Oh my God. Oh my God. It'd be like the James McAvoy episode of Bake Off, but oh my God. But somehow even hunkier. 
Imagine. I, am, I am here for that episode. I will be taking notes of all the recipes, of course, um, he, to bake uh, them myself in future. If he got a Hollywood handshake, he'd crush Paul Hollywood's hand with that big old cyborg arm of his. So you're saying there's no downside. This is fantastic. <laughs> this week's star baker, Paul Hollywood just lying crushed and crushed to pulp. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see where, where Buck ends up. Yeah, uh, I, have to I, say. I, think, I think it's more fun to have, you know, recovering Buck, actually. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's fun that... To, to kind of meet him really for the first time in the modern era properly because you know we've already seen this this almost pathological urge away from lying he's he's told very very few lies despite having a lot to lie about in his life like just going mm. on a date is suddenly fraught what age are you tell me about your parents like <laughs> these are difficult questions mm. that he can't really answer and um and yet he tends towards honesty and then sort of plays it off as a joke so I just I, I enjoy that already, and also the fact that he's you know sarky and you know kind of mean in a way that Steve wasn't, but in a way that you can see why he and Steve were friends. I I just I think it's really well drawn so far. I'm really excited mm. because I don't think we really got to know him that well, did we? Uh, no. I think it's one it's one of the criticisms of First Avenger. I, I know, dare you. Helen. I know. <laughs> it's a perfect film, obviously. Thank you. But one of the imperfect, perfect things about it, uh, <laughs> as Noel Gallagher once said, true perfection has to be imperfect. That's true. That's I know true. that that sounds funny, but it's, it's like true. the great, great rug weavers in in Persia that they they yes. deliberately introduce a flaw so as not to challenge God. Yes. How nice <laughs> to find a flaw. As, as Simo once said. Yeah, okay, except he said it about having green in your blue eyes, with, with which he can fuck off. That is not a flaw, that's fine. All right, anyway, carry on. Yeah. That's another yeah. order special. Let's, let's, let's take a look at yourself, shall we, Simo, you nut job. Uh, anywho, he's not really fleshed. It's one of the things I think about at First Avenger gets slightly wrong in that Steve, I think, feels Bucky's loss more than the audience does because we just mm. don't know him at that point by the time he takes the swan dive into the snow. So, you know, and then you could maybe argue by an extension that the big reveal of him as a Winter Soldier, they do a bit more work on it than Winter Soldier. So, you know, we see the impact it has on Steve. But mm. for the audience, it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if some people watched Winter Soldier and still didn't know he was Bucky until it's actually said on screen, yeah. you know, until it's pointed out that that's Bucky. There, there are going to be people who are like, I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the guy from the first movie? We're meant. To- oh, really? Yeah, he does look very different with the hair and everything, but, you know. Mm, and the mask. Yeah. But the I arm. think this is why people watch, you know, Winter Soldier on repeat. I mean, it's one of the reasons, is that um, you know, they enjoy that <laughs> reveal. I think it plays really well. They enjoy the strut. Yeah. The strut is, I mean, the strut is a thing. The strut is real, guys. I want to see more strutting in this show than we've had so far from both of them. Yeah. I believe Sam yeah. can strut too. So strut loud, strut proud, guys. Sam is one of the best. Mackie is one of the best in the MCU. I mean, he has that cut the check catchphrase uh, off camera. Uh, it'd be great if it became Sam's catchphrase on camera. Um, but the, the dude can't even get a loan, let alone a check. So <laughs> I don't know if that will work. But, you know, that, that, that great introduction he has in Winter Soldier when we see him flying and landing on the roof. Uh, with Jasper Sitwell, oh, Sitwell, that uh, doesn't sit well with me, you Hydra scum. Uh, and he, you know, he lo- he almost looks at the camera and he looks really, really cool. And, he, you know, then they'll shout cut and then he'll go cut the check because that's what you're paying for to look goddamn cool. Um, 
yeah, I think we'll get a lot of moments like that uh, mm. in this. But we'll also get it. We'll also get a chance to know Sam a little bit more than we than we we do, having really only seen him in Winter Soldier and and Civil War, and you know to a lesser extent in Infinity War. Um, but again, you know, characters sometimes fall by the wayside in in service of the of the greater story there. Mm. Yeah, he didn't get enough to do in Infinity War. I felt like I felt almost like Infinity War was the Russos and Marcus and McFeely trying to show that they weren't playing favorites with the people they already knew. Just to your point, Chris, I really like what they're doing with Simon showing his life away from the, the military or the Air Force or Captain America. And I really thought, uh, I think her name is Adapero uh, Odoya, uh, did a fantastic job as Sarah, um, mm-hmm. Sam's sister. I'm mm-hmm. very intrigued to see where they're going to take that relationship. But I'm just excited because I think Captain America is just a character and a mantle that gets more interesting the grayer the world is. And, you know, I, I liked and I appreciate that, you know, how that mantle was born was in sort of a world where things were a little bit more black and white. And you now I got a lot of love for the first Avenger. But where Captain America really sort of excels as a character, sort of in, movies and Winter Soldier and Civil War sort of sticking to his morals where everyone else doesn't and where the world is grey and it's not black and white. Um, and having a black man be Captain America in this mm. time, it doesn't get more grey mm-hmm. than that. And this is why, you know, I think I said to you uh, off mic that that I just, I, I want to be uncomfortable watching this show. I want them to take all these very, very difficult questions and not give us any easy answers but really examine and explore everything to a really sort of, you know, thorough degree. Um, Cause this is mm. it's just too great of an opportunity. This show is to really sort of get into that, to not take that uh, all the way. Uh, and I hope that Marvel mm. gave Malcolm Spellman and Kyrie Scotland all the leeway to do that and uh, really take it to where it should be taken to. Uh, we've done enough looking forward. So let's, let's very, very quickly look back. Uh, favorite Sam and Bucky moments from the MCU. I mean, together, it's the, it's in the car. Can yeah. you move your seat? No. And then yeah. both mm-hmm. of them nodding their head at Steve when he looks like it. <laughs> yeah, I, did, yeah I, I wasn't thinking together. I was thinking separately, but oh, yes, separately. together, no, no, together oh. is together is nice as well because there's also the, the fun moment after the battle with Spider-Man in the Civil War where yeah. um, <laughs> Sam quips and Bucky just goes, I hate you. I hate just, you. no, you don't. You like each other. You it's fine. Him. It's Aww. fine. It's totally fine. I think on your left has to be right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Great, great All moment. of the on your left. Yeah. <laughs> just any of you on your left. <laughs> any of the, it's it's so well used all through. Right? With Steve waking up in hospital works, out for a run works, portals works. It just works. Oh, mm-hmm. we should talk about portals. That's a good idea. Somebody write that down. Just going through the motions at this point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Best, and Bucky's intro still takes some beating. The the just sort of standing out in the middle of the street and taking down Nick Fury. Holy shit! What the hell? Yeah. I still don't think Nick Fury could have drilled through as much concrete no, I don't as either. he does in that time. But look, and I I want them both to survive, so that was the only option, Chris. <laughs> but so. are we really meant to believe that the world's most feared assassin just kind of goes, well, I don't know where he's gone. <laughs> there's, no, there's no possible way I could follow him now. I think he knows where he's gone, but at this point it's like, he has a laser that can cut through like six feet of concrete, so I'm going to get out of here. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Alrighty then. I'm going to go back to Robert Ray. 
Well, we don't know that what mission parameters he was given, you know. So it may be that he was obeying the letter and not the spirit of the law. He does complete. He does complete his mission later on. He just waits, doesn't he? he bides his time. He follows Nick Fury, perhaps. There you go. Or do, you, do you think he follows Fury, or do you think he just goes to track Steve's apartment because they suspect that's where Fury might go? <gasps> I wonder if he's tracking Fury at that point. I don't know. I'm I'm voting mm. tracking. Yeah. Tracking? I'm voting yeah. tracking as well. Let's vote yeah. for tracking. Yeah. Release tracking. the dragon. <laughs> tracking is back in fashion. I also I like the moment in Winter Soldier uh, with Sam at the at the VA. Um, mm-hmm. We don't really mm-hmm. see that kind of understated heroism uh, in the MCU a lot, uh, but I think that's one of the moments that really sort of stands out to me in that regard. It's, and it's it's nicely kind of echoed throughout the the conversation about the beds being too soft. There echoed in this first episode of this show with Bucky waking up on the floor, and you know uh, Steve and that seeing Sam leading that group and then going on to lead his own grief group uh, in in Endgame as well. Like there's there's sort of little ties running through it that show you how much these guys influence each other, which I think is is really nicely done, and how much they have in common as well which is really good. I like the bit in Winter Soldier where he says to Steve and Natasha, you know, do you guys want breakfast? I assume you you eat, you people eat that sort of thing. That's a nice little moment. And I also just like the fact that he and Steve just find, you know, just recognising each other, those that kindred spirits and mm. and and how they're both, and this is a, 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 a very much a Steve trait as well, and how they're both willing to sacrifice so much. Steve sacrifices so much for Bucky but he also sacrifices a lot for Sam. You know, it's it's Sam who's the last person we see in Civil War when Steve goes to the raft to rescue everybody mm-hmm. and to free everybody. It's Steve. It's Sam that Steve is smiling at at the end of at the, in the very last shot of that movie. Uh, and you know, they they bond so nicely together. So they're they're fast friends right away. And I love the fact that it's Sam, for example, he has the last line of Winter Soldier. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Well, by all, you know, have have at it, have at it, sir. When do we start? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a succinct, you no, know, short, but very effective way of solidifying these the bond between these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just it's so it's such a great way to end end the movie. I I love that moment. Yeah, I think I think I think it's great. They're so good together. Oh, guys. <laughs> But no, the the other thing we haven't mentioned is just like it's it's really fun to watch him in full kind of Winter Soldier strut. You know that that attack in in Winter Soldier is fantastic, but it's also fun to see Bucky in sort of you know slightly panicked mode. Uh, so the the scene in Civil War where uh, Steve reaches him just before a SWAT, a SWAT team does is brilliantly done, absolutely brilliantly mm-hmm. done. And uh, mm-hmm. you know his efforts at that point not entirely successfully not to kill anyone. Uh, so Steve has to keep, you know, saving people from certain death when Bucky accidentally yeah. drops them down the stairs. You know, it's- accidentally. I like <laughs> hey, that. Hey, <laughs> come on, that's, man. That's clear self-defense, which is another. Oh offense, God! All right, don't make me start with you. All right. Oh boy. And none of these people are accountable for what they do, Helen. I'm just, I'm just. Look, I'm talking about. I'm talking about the death. People keep calling him a murderer. I'm just saying he's not a murderer. All right. Jeez. He just happened to be standing near those bodies. <laughs> That's not um, what murder is. All right. Well, next time we're doing Leatherface uh, on the show, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up some. I mean, characters. look, he'd probably go to an asylum and not a jail yeah. as well because he's not guilty guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. Bucky is not guilty by reason of automatism. What about Jason Voorhees? Insanity. Ah, but he's also dead. 
So therefore, would any of his crimes apply to him? Can you be charged for Look, murder? I'm going to need an old priest fact- and a young priest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could be here all day, uh, but we can't do this all day. Unlike unlike Steve Rogers, uh, my final question is. Even though I think the show is going to establish identities for Sam and Buck uh, outside of Steve, they're still very, very much defined by Steve. You know, it's it's Steve who gives Sam the shield at the end of Endgame. I've never quite... I don't think I've ever asked, actually, the Russos or Marcus McFeely why... Bucky chooses not to go up to Steve at the end of that. And how much... Does Bucky know, for example, of Steve's plan not to come back? Yeah, their their I dialogue think so. would seem to indicate that he does, but he also seems a little bit surprised. So he smiles a bit when he realizes Steve hasn't come back. But there's also before that, there's also a little bit of, oh, where is he? Where did he go? I don't know what's happening here. Uh, maybe he's just forgotten. Maybe he's just, you know, <laughs> I think he's just very I don't stupid. Think he's- surprised. I think he knows exactly what Steve's doing. But again, this is the conversation that happens off screen that we don't get to see because we don't get to see them together in Endgame and it's very upsetting. So what you're saying, Helen, is we need a four-hour cut of Avengers Endgame. Is that what you're saying? Rele- release the Stucky cut. <laughs> I would watch that in a heartbeat. No, that, oh, in, no, you in, wouldn't, Amon. Hashtag restore the Russo first. <laughs> not only that, but in Infinity War, I'd love to see an extended cut of that because I think I told but you and Christus, uh, that's the first time that Sam and Rhodey are in Wakanda. I mm. guarantee you, those two black men had a conversation about being in a black utopia in Africa that was secret until very, very recently uh, that we never got to see, uh, which is one of the many reasons why I'm hoping that we get to see Rhodey again in this show. Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that, that connection that those two characters have, there's a lot of uh, sort of gaps uh, which they can fill both mm-hmm. uh, with flashbacks and in real time. And we have already got a little, a, a nice flavor of that in that conversation that they had. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you think that Bucky doesn't go up to Steve at the end because Steve said to him, listen, if this goes well, if this goes well, I'm going to appear on the park bench <laughs> but like a really old dude and I'm, I'm going to be giving my shield to Sam. No offence, Buck, I'd give it to you, but you're a homicidal weapon uh, that can be turned against anybody if they have the right combination of words. And he's like, yeah, fair enough, Steve. Not, <laughs> not, to, not to start another endgame spoiler, I, yeah. think, I think what we draw from that is that Steve and Bucky had a really long conversation the night before. Steve told him all his plans, except perhaps coming back. I don't think that was a big part of it. And they hashed it all out at that point. And so there's nothing really left to say that next morning. So that's my theory. Not only that, but like, that's still like the day of or the day after Tony Stark's like funeral, right? Mm. And, you know, not to sort of, you know, hash this out yet again, but, you know, giving it to Bucky at that moment when they've just said bid farewell to Tony Stark Mm. would have felt wrong. On that level too. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not sure it's that immediate, but it's a bit up in the air, I guess. Yeah, I hope it's. I hope it's immediately after. Immediately after, like in the background, <laughs> they're, they're still cleaning up after Tony's funeral. There's still people packing oh stuff away. I mean, they've had to build that entire like thingy to send them back. You know, it's the platform. It's the platform. It's taken a little minute. I'm. I'm okay. thinking. Manufacture some more pin particles or whatever. Oh mm-hmm. no, they've got those, haven't they? Yeah, they've got them up the wazoo. 
which is not the best place to put them. But my last question was about Sam uh, and Steve and and just how Steve links these two and how we'll see that explored in the show. I mean, there's there's already this thread going on. Even Malcolm Spellman was talking about it at the end. Uh, you know, Steve's on the moon. He's not on the moon. Steve's somewhere. <laughs> but how how is that going to play out? What do you think? That's what do you think is going to happen? I I I mean, never say never. But I don't think this is a Steve show, and I. You know, if if there's a cameo, great. But I'm not going to sit here and speculate about Mephisto turning up again because I thought it was silly last time, and I'm not. You know, I'm just going to enjoy what's on screen this time as far as possible. I wouldn't mind a cameo at the end, but I'm hesitant for Steve to play any more of a role than he already has in terms of pushing Sam along this journey. I want Sam to figure this out by himself, largely. Um, uh, so, so yeah, but I, I wouldn't say no to an old man, Chris Evans cameo at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. I've, I've long thought it was inevitable, but then again, I thought Dr. Strange turned up at the end of WandaVision was inevitable. As did so I. what do I know? Um, <laughs> but I have to say if they, if he does turn up and they can't get Evans, I hope that they make it so bloody obvious that they couldn't get Evans and they, they just shoot him from behind or they shoot him from the front, but his face is obscured and his voice sounds slightly off. So that sounds great. Yay. Yeah. Well, second, I thought you were going to say if they can't get Evans, they should get Biden. But <laughs> well, they should get the other Chris Evans. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I refuse. Yeah. All right, specimen. Uh, anyway, on that bombshell, that is it for this um, impromptu. It was very, very impromptu. <laughs> deep dive into all things Sam and Bucky in the MCU. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you like what you heard, and I'm sure you didn't, but if you did. And you want to hear uh, more about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all sorts of great spoiler stuff, then do sign up to our spoiler special subscription channel, which is available right now. Check out my pinned tweet for details or just go to the Empire website, empireonline.com, for more details on how to do that. Just £2.99 a month, folks. You can't say fairer than that. But uh, as we get our minds and our bodies and our souls and our cyborg arms ready for the second episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it is time to say goodbye to Squadcast name, Caps Lock, (laughs) Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Ultimate Frisbee, Amon Woman. (laughs) Peace. Don't forget, of course, that the brand new issue of Empire is on sale right now. If you want to know more about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, all the nuts and bolts, how it came about, how they put it together, and what is yet to come. Very, very good issue indeed. Lots of other great stuff in there as well. But enough of my shameless plugging. I'm off to watch my favorite Bucky moment, one that I can't believe we didn't mention in the rest of the episode. It's the moment in Civil War where he just grabs that motorcycle off that dude and flips it around in slow motion. That is art. I'm off to watch that about 267 times in a row. Seems fair. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.